Let's talk about learning styles. Traditionally, we're taught the VARC method, that there's visual, audio, read, write, and kinesthetic learners. But what if I told you there was no evidence to support such specific learning styles? Welcome to Profess EMS, the podcast dedicated to educating, training, mentoring, and inspiring EMS educators and providers alike. Whether you're looking to grow as an educator or prosper as a provider, sit back, open those neural pathways, and let's get to it. Hey everybody, it's Ben with Profess EMS. This podcast is brought to you by Master Your Medics. Also, I still work in the field as a provider, so any ideas, thoughts, or opinions in this podcast do not necessarily represent that of my employer. So let's get into it. So let, let's talk about this idea of learning styles. As an educator, we're traditionally taught that you know, we, learners have certain specific learning styles. And the most standard is the VARK model, V-A-R-K, that we have visual, audio, read, write, and kinesthetic learners. So we have this visual that the concept that students learn best by being able to just see something. Then we have audio that they just learn the best or the, the best way or the only way we should really teach them is by letting them listen to something. Then we have the read and write, the learners who simply read best by reading through the book, taking their own notes and kind of breaking things down that way. And then we have the infamous kinesthetic learners or the hands-on. So in emergency services, it seems like this is the emphasis on our, our students that they mostly want to say, well, I'm, I'm a hands-on learner. But yet the overwhelming consensus amongst educational researchers is in you know, and educational scholars that there's no evidence that backs this hypothesis of you know certain small specific learning styles. So there's this professor. His name's Howard Gardner. He's a research professor of cognition and education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. You know, a fairly illustrious program in the United States. So Professor Gardner developed this theory on multiple intelligences. And, and this theory began research in the 1970s, 1980s. Well, then he first presented to the world his theory on this in 1983 in his publication of the book, Frames of Mind, The Theory of Multiple Intelligences. And so what he gets at with the multiple intelligences is that we're not, we're, the, he kind of compares it to our brains being computers, that we don't compute all the same way, that there are multiple ways that we as students of life in general, just learn by different ways. And a lot of this went out to kind of debunk the theory of IQ testing. All right, so let's talk about IQ testing. You know, that's such a infamous phrase that we've heard of, well, this person has a certain high IQ score. Well, then a lot of this research that's out really goes and debunks IQ testing from multiple aspects that, yeah, that in... You know, in the early 1900s, when IQ testing was put out, which it's 
original design was to figure out which French kids needed more assistance in the French school system. So, you know, find some way to evaluate students to see who maybe needs a little bit of extra help. So commendable that educators were looking into finding some way to assess students to see if they actually needed more help or you know, if they were getting just enough from their standard curriculum. Okay, so in some of this research, it goes on to give these examples of certain people who were given really low IQ scores. They took standardized IQ testing, um, you know, that it kind of goes and measures linguistics, logical, mathematical intelligences, and sometimes spatial intelligence. Okay, so there were certain people who were given IQ scores and were given extremely low scores, but yet these same people were considered, you know, absolute geniuses in something outside of what the typical assessment was on the IQ test. Okay, so they're just like, how can we evaluate and tell or declare somebody to be of high intelligence when they're not truly being evaluated on what they're going to be doing. So again, that that starts tying into what we as educators are doing. We provide education and we're trying to evaluate that student of how they're going to go. Okay. So that's why, you know, in EMS or, you know, fire police or anything in emergency services, there's those certain skills or knowledge bases that our persons need to know. So that is what we're trying to assess. So now just imagine these same people in these studies that were given very low IQ scores because maybe math was not their strong suit, but they could understand and compose music unlike, you know, 1% of other people in the world just ranked as absolute, you know, musical geniuses that they could hear sounds and interpret and tell you what pitch, what tone it was. But maybe, you know, algebra, geometry just wasn't quite their thing. But to excel in what they wanted to do and what they were going to be doing, they weren't being evaluated on that. Okay, so that, that goes back to us. We're as educators, we're evaluating students. We teach them things and by various means. And, and kind of what I'm getting at with this is, you know, if students had a specific learning style, wouldn't we all really just be teaching the same exact thing anyways? All right, so let's think about this concept too. You know. A lot of people listening may have done ACT, SAT testing to get into their respective academic programs. Okay, I know I did, you know, to get certain scholarships or get into certain schools I applied to, my undergraduate studies, you know, I had to have certain SAT or ACT scores to say, hey, I'm smart enough that that means in theory, I should be okay to go through college. And so if they give me a scholarship, it'll be worth their time to give me money. But, you know, those, SATs and ACTs, they're, are they assessing the same learning style? So where was my auditory evaluation on the ACT? You know, where was my kinesthetic evaluation? I wasn't getting Play-Doh handed to me and telling me to, you know, make the shape of a brainstem. There was pictures and mathematical equations. So, you know, are, are we as educators who were bringing students into our program and only admitting them based on their SAT and ACT scores, but yet we're going to bring them in and teach them on something in a way that we never truly evaluated them. So a lot of these assessments and things that we've been doing are just you know, being discovered by research 
that we really just kind of contradict ourselves. Okay, so, I mean, it, are learning styles that simplistic? Well, no. Okay, and again, the research proves it by, you know, throughout the US, Canada, and the UK, there's a list of hundreds and hundreds of major schools and institutions that have dropped the complete requirement to have any SAT or ACT score at all. And I'm not talking just, you know, small pop-up schools who struggle for enrollment uh, that, you know, are just trying to get in their numbers to generate profits. But we're talking major schools like Ivy League schools, um, you know, Harvard, Yale, just to name a couple that are on the top of these lists, you know, to be credited as some of the best institutions in the world. Well, hey, they're no longer using these old antiquated, you know, assessment tools such as the SAT and ACT. You know, they're coming into schools and they're realizing that, hey, there's multiple ways we should be assessing these students. And maybe we're really missing out on a certain population by just kind of looking through this narrow glass. Maybe we really need to take our blinders off and really look at the big picture of these students. And we think about things that, you know, in, in the mess that we're trying to evaluate. And we want to make sure that people, when they get out, that they're going, you know, if they get out of our paramedic programs or EMT programs or whatever it may be, we want to ensure that they're going to be efficient in every single thing that they do. Okay, so if we're only teaching visual things by, you know, death by PowerPoint, we're like, this is a picture of this, this is a picture of this, here's an example of this by learning that way, or, you know, just reading off the presentation to them and hoping that the words that we say are somehow going to sink into their brain and they're going to be able to completely process the renin-angiotensin system based on words we're just reading to them. Or, you know, hey, read this chapter, fill out this, you know, this quick workbook, just fill in the blank answers, fill this out, and it's suddenly going to turn a light bulb on your head. Or, hey, here's the hands-on thing. It's a hands-on profession, so if I just teach you the hands-on things and we make you a skill monkey, then, yep, you're going to get it figured out. You're going to know what to do. But we know better than that. We know that there has to be that gray area that we as instructors are expecting our students to be able to comprehend things, not just see this, do this, because that's what you do. We need them to conceptualize, to critically think. You know, if we look at that Bloom's taxonomy, you know, there's those higher ends of synthesizing and conceptualizing. That's what we need our students to be doing. But where is that in the VARC method or where is that necessarily in SAT or ACT scores? So we know as instructors and you know, no matter what level you're teaching at, that we have to be able to deliver education in multiple modalities. It's going to take different ways to teach different things. So we just can't, you know, go to our students and say, well, you're a visual learner or you're an auditory learner. You know, without, with all this research that's out there, there's, you know, it's went from the IQ testing of two, three things we're going to evaluate on to some research that's alluding to, there is, you know, 70 plus ways that students should be engaged with or multiple intelligences, as Professor Gardner stated, that there's different ways that students are going to learn and some little subsets in that education of what they may be a genius in. But it doesn't necessarily mean that all the other methods or learning strategies or other forms of intelligence 
are just turned off. So we're not computing one way. Some ways it may click this way, some ways it may click another way. So it's us as educators, it's very much up to us to find these ways and different modalities of uh, delivery methods for our didactic education. All right, so think about other things we were going to assess our students on. What about social interaction? You know, as a, a paramedic or EMT, it's we socially interact with people every single day. It is our job to interact with the population. So we need to be able to have social skills. We need to be able to, you know, have senses of perception and interpretation, you know, understand body language to you know, be able to tell if somebody's lying to us or not, to be able to really just tell body language or is this person really hurting? Okay, think about how we interpret pediatric populations. You know, all these pediatric scores and pain scores and alertness scores, a lot of that is perception. So how do we necessarily teach that without just audio or video or hands-on or make them read it? We really have to understand and teach into that gray area. And a big one that's really come out in EMS education in the past few years is the affective domain. Okay, that is something that is required by paramedic programs that is supposed to be evaluated. Okay, you're tested on your uh, psychomotor abilities, your cognitive abilities. So, you know, at the end of programs, there's generally an you know, an exit scenario that students have to go through and they're given a very difficult task and they have to be able to socially interact with a simulated patient, be a good team player, be a leader and evaluate and be able to communicate effectively and be able to apply all their skills that they know well and also the affective domain. They basically have to be able to play well with others. You know, that affective domain is just something that they've realized through you know, accreditation and education and research that a lot of students have been lacking in is that affective domain, basically soft skills. Are they able to communicate effectively with the patient, with their coworkers? You know, all in all, we're trying to build, or I'm sorry, create students that are efficient by every stretch of the imagination. Okay, so we take this great big mold of what we want our students to be like. You know, we want them to be able to be kind, be professional, be knowledgeable, be able to apply all the skills that they have and critically think and be in that gray area to really understand and conceptualize physiology and pathophysiology because we don't see it. We can't necessarily read it, but we are interpreting a whole collection of things. So us as providers, we have to engage multiple forms of intelligence to be able to take care of the sick and the injured. So what I'm trying to emphasize is us as educators, we really need to be able to educate in those different ways to capture those multiple intelligences. You know, we, we just got to really find ways to get outside of these typical learning styles that not every student is visual audio or kinesthetic, that they have all these little subsets of breakout and they have their own little quirks and, Maybe in this type of concept that they're they're great with applying, you know, tourniquets and traction splints and all the hands-on things. And then, you know, we have those other students that we state, well, you know, all their intelligence falls out at their elbows, that they can talk a big talk, but they can't walk the walk. Well, then us as educators, 
we have to take that and evaluate that. So we almost have to take each student, each cohort as our own lesson plan. We critique our lesson plans and we're going to have to critique that from class to class, person to person and be able to look just like these you know, initial researchers did those French students in 1904. What students are going to need a little bit of extra help? What students do we as educators need to sit back, call that audible, pull a huddle, get with our, you know, our adjuncts or other instructors, our peers, you know, attract other resources, read another book, read some of this research to figure out, hey, what we're doing isn't necessarily working based on our modes of assessment. So we got to sit back, kind of reevaluate and see how we can change our delivery methods because it's going to change year to year. We as educators were infamously saying, well, it's just this generation. It's just this generation. Or is it us? Is it us that's just not keeping up with the changes? So, I mean, you think about, you know, a decade ago, who would have really thought to come into a podcast to try to listen and get ideas on how to teach? or just going to YouTube or going this, the resources are out there. So we have to adapt and we have to overcome just as we expect our students to do once they get out on the field every single day, adapt and overcome. And we as educators need to do the same thing. And, you know, just because we are delivering those certain methods that we've, you know, we've read the research, we've read Gardner's research and his theories, and we understand that there's multiple forms of intelligence. So we think we're hitting all these things. Well, just because you are, you know, that you're putting all these crafty things that you think that you're really changing the world doesn't mean that it is truly working. We still have to do evaluations to assure that what we are doing is working. So that's going to be another part as we continue on through these episodes is moving on to forms of assessment. And, you know, with all this, I came up, with this analogy, you know, of just because you're saying something doesn't necessarily mean that it's, that it's clicking in or that you've heard something or that you've read something that it really sinks in. Think about a song that, you know, you know, we we see these infamous TikToks and YouTube videos and memes of lyrics and songs that we've been singing for years, but then it finally clicked of, Oh, that's what that means. You know, if we're just saying and reciting words because that's what we've heard without having a true understanding of what that actually means or what's happening, it's just a song. And as long as we carry on the beat and the tune, hey, maybe we sound good, but are we really singing what we're supposed to be singing? And so think about that when you were a kid and you were singing all these songs and you sang these words. And then as an adult, you're like, oh, my God. I am, that was very much a potty mouth. And we wouldn't let our children sing the same things we did because we now know what those words mean. Basically, you know, we would be singing all these things, saying things, but it just hasn't quite computed in our computer of a brain what's really going on. All right, so overall, those assessments of intelligences, those have been going on for centuries, since the 1800s. The only thing that is evident through all research is that us as educators need to be able to break out of our shell. We need to find different ways to deliver things to students every time. We need to continually assess to see what we're doing, to see if our game plan and our, you know, formulated education model is working. Again, that's student to student, 
year to year, cohort to cohort. So again, the only thing that is evident is us as educators must educate in a variety of ways. So we need a big bag of tricks to deliver all the goods. So thanks everybody for tuning in. Hopefully we were able to get some good things out of this. Uh, by no means am I trying to say that there are not learning styles, but all I'm saying is advocating for read the research, read all these different ways that students learn and the truly different forms of intelligence that there are out there. So I'll catch you guys on the next one. Take care.